listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to the podcast. This week I'm coming to you from a bit further north than usual. I'm in Toronto, Canada this week for business. And due to the unknowns of hotel internet service combined with my needing to keep my voice at a more moderate level here in the hotel room, uh, Nick and I thought this would be a good opportunity for us to catch up on a few items he and I have been tossing back and forth and possibly to answer a question or two that have come to us from listeners of the podcast. So what's up, Nick? How's it going, brother? Oh, it's been going pretty good. It's been going pretty good. I'm uh, just just getting further into the uh, the 3D shooting season and the weather's nice and, and just trying to get outside a little bit more, probably start doing some scouting for hunting season once the uh, turkey season's over after Memorial Day. And we've got we've got Compton's coming up in a few weeks, so uh, we haven't actually talked about that, but uh, or maybe we mentioned it. But so me and the 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 Angel Tribe is we're heading up to Michigan again, so we'll be at Compton's in a few weeks. And I know yeah, you're, you're planning on coming by, right? Yeah, we're I'm I'm coming. Well, I wasn't going to this year, um, or I was, but I was going to go up for the day. Um, the Michigan Longbow Association helps um, one of their one of their. Uh, one of our key, our keyboard members is, helps out Compton, um, Floyd Wells. He's been doing it for quite a while, just to help the kids and good old Bub and good old Bub and Bub. Um, you know, he Bub was instrumental in starting our youth program for the MLA as we have it today. And uh, so we usually, um, since we have a booth at Compton, we usually go and help Bub out for the day on Saturday because we just like working with kids and promoting archery. That's part of why we're a five hundred one c three and and that's why we do it and. You know, we, uh, I just started helping with that a couple of years ago and, um, actually last year was my first year. I never could make it before. So, uh, I planned on going up for the day and helping bub and seeing, uh, seeing a few people. And, and then you mentioned that you were going to go again this year and, and we had a lot of fun last year. So I said, well, for father's day weekend, I guess I'll, uh, I guess I'll shoot to Compton and, and camp a little bit and that'll give us some time to do some podcast stuff. Would, absolutely, I am bringing the um, I'm bringing the recording gear with me, so we'll um, we'll try to get a few interviews lined up between now and and the uh, the week of the fifteenth. But yeah, I'm I'm actually looking forward to it. The uh, wife and daughter always enjoy it and get to hang out with with you and and Rob and John and and Tom and lots of other folks. David Hewitt. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of folks that uh, I only get to see at that shoot. Um, that I'm really looking forward to seeing. So I think mm-hmm. we're going to try to start making it a, an annual thing if at all possible. But this year with, uh, with the way Bella's, um, my daughter, with the way her school has been going, she's, you know, it's just waiting to see if how everything was going to finish up and if she was going to even feel like getting out going. Cause the kid just, just worked so hard, but mm-hmm. I was talking to them a few weeks ago and they, they really seemed excited about it. So we're going to, we're going to drive up midweek, and I'll actually um, uh, work from work from Michigan one day. I think we're actually going to stay with Tom um, a couple of nights, and I'll work from his place, and then we'll be there bright and early Friday morning. Yeah, and Jess and the kids might come Saturday. Well, that would be fun for the day, and then uh, and then drive back. I know um, Bella and Laura will be really happy if they can make it. Yeah, that, that we were talking about that. We we're like, well, we don't even, you know, maybe maybe you just hang out with them. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, anyway, I hope they want to go. I mean, they 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 did enjoy it last year. Um, but we decided that it was a little hot last year for the kids, and we decided that you know we'll since we're tenting it and everything, we'll 
we'll take this year off and hit a couple other shoots. I like to alternate. So, sure, sure. But I, I do enjoy. I love. I do enjoy Compton. Compton was always one that I never really went to unless I wanted to buy stuff. And um, I had so much fun last year, to be honest with you, that I was. And the year before, I just went for the day, and um, I I had a blast. And you know, I'm like, I, I really enjoy it now. So. Well, and you know the uh, the guys from from TradQuest are going to be there too. So uh, James Orr and and uh, Bob the Bowman Borland's going to be there. So <laughs> we'll get to we'll get to meet up with those guys, and maybe we can uh, maybe maybe between us and them, somebody can do the equivalent of photo bombing their podcast interviews or something. We'll have to figure something out there. But well, they like to take a lot of pictures when they shoot, so that 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 would be a good time if we got to maybe do a round with them too. Absolutely. In fact, I need to call James back. I talked to him uh, last week and he was he was telling me he was having to work a lot of hours and he sounded he sounded pretty tired. So I didn't keep him on the phone. I meant to call him back over the weekend and just things got away from me. So we got a long weekend coming up. So I need to reach out to him again. So but uh, yeah, we had um, so we had Jay Jay's episode last week, and and that's been very well received. Everybody mm-hmm. seems to be really enjoying that episode. So I thought thought this week we're going to take a, a little bit of a break from from having a guest and and just you and I talk about a few things. I've got a few subjects that we'll bring up, and I think you've got one you might try to try to sneak in on me, but um, just uh, spend a little bit of time with us catching up on. We haven't really had a chance to talk much uh, between you being at turkey season and the guests that we've had on. So um, we'll use this episode just to, to, to catch up on some uh, some topics that we've been kind of rolling around back and forth through Facebook and email and everything else. We really hadn't had a, a chance to discuss. Um, yeah, I think that's a good idea. And, you know, um, I think I don't know. Maybe it makes sense if maybe I ask my uh, my subtopic question first, and we can focus on the re- the rest of the episode on uh, on the bulk of the topic. We the, uh, the other definitely topic. do that. But but before we get into that, I do want to. Um, so you know what, Jason Sam Koviak at uh, the Traditional Bow Hunting Wilderness Podcast has 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 really been good to us, and and some of the other traditional podcasts. He's he's given a lot of shout outs and. And I'm pretty sure most of our most of our followers and subscribers know about Jason, but I do want to give Jason a quick shout out. Um, so if you if you don't know about traditional bow hunting and wilderness podcast, you really should check Jason out. Um, websites tbwpodcast.com, and you can also search on any of the the platforms for um, the traditional bow hunting and wilderness podcast. Jason's got some great content out there, and he's just a great guy all the way around. Um, and the other thing, Nick, that we found out this week is he's actually, so a few years back, um, Jason released a two DVD set, uh, on scouting for whitetails. And I know you bought that set, right, Nick? I did. I did. And actually I tell you what, um, I, I watched it a little on and off when I first got it, but you know, you and I, in a, a couple episodes back, actually our first couple episodes, we talked about how I wanted to mature as a hunter. And how I, I hunt with a lot of people, with people a lot, and I've never really put a lot into scouting and things like that. And I, um, part of doing that, I said, I'm going to sit down and watch Jason's DVD and take notes and really watch it. Mm-hmm. And I started doing that yesterday because I'm just about to get into scouting. And I've got, you know, some topo maps already pulled and things like that. And I mean, I got 
I got half an hour into the DVD and I was, it's four hours worth of, worth of content. Um, he really jam packed it. And man, I tell you what, I am already learning so much in that. And the way he, the way he talks about everything is he makes it so simple. I mean, he really breaks it down and doesn't overwhelm you. Um, and it's, and there's, it's fantastic. And there's something in it for everybody. There really is. Yeah. I mean, he, he, the, the first DVD, he, he, right away, he gets into just looking at any topo map and identifying fun, uh, f- uh, funnels via topography. And, um, you know, then when he gets into later, but, um, that was eye opening. I, I was just, some of the stuff in that's just, well, duh. I mean, you think about it and you're like, that makes all the sense in the world, but Jason really knows about deer and, uh, and, and identifying the right and identifying land. Well, um, and, and for those that don't know, he's actually been working on the second edition of that. So another two DVD set, and he just wrapped those up. Um, I know mine and yours are actually already in the mail, but he's, he's, he's got it ready. It's packaged up. He's ready to ship them. So, um, and I, I know he's, you can buy just the, um, the, the second set of DVDs, or he's got a, where you can actually go and just buy, you know, both sets so four dvds so um check out his website tbwpodcast.com right now currently the first article on the site is about the release of the second dvd set and gives you all the information about how to go about placing an order so great job jason i can't wait to i can't wait to see it i know nick you're excited about it too mm-hmm. so um yeah i guess uh if you want to go ahead and jump in i know there was there was something that you were talking about you wanted to you wanted to bring up to i guess either talk to me or maybe Maybe we can figure out if we need to find somebody else to actually have on the show to, to go into this. But what, what was it? Yeah, and, or we could even kick it up to the group um, on Facebook there. But uh, yeah, so I, I really want to get into fly fishing. Um, I, I listened to Cameron's episode and your interview with him. I couldn't make that one. And um, it really gave me the bug. And, uh, you know, John and Rob and uh, a few of my other friends do it. And, um, as you know, I'm a big fan of Gordon McQuarrie, um, mm-hmm. who wrote a lot about fly fishing. Um, and that's the old bow hunter books or not the old bow hunter, but the, um, the old duck, hunter. the old, the old duck hunter, the old duck hunter. Uh, and I, I just love to read about it. Plus the Nick Adams stories, Ernest Hemingway, um, right. you know, all that stuff is just, I really, really love that stuff. And, um, so basically uh, I've, I've kind of, I've kind of got the bug and I've been, I've been looking for more things to do in the outdoors and maybe get the kids involved in. So I, I think I want to get into fly fishing. And, um, I did have a couple questions on that. Cause I know that, you know, you've been doing some fly fishing and we had Cameron on and, and, um, I, uh, I, I thought you guys might be able to help me or whoever, but anyway, so, for the first one is what what does the weight of a rod mean? Now I think I'm going to get a pretty budget graphite rod just to start something sure. basic. I, I looked mm-hmm. at a, I looked at a Cabela's kit. You know they cost around one nineteen. Comes with pretty much everything I need. Um, and then I got to get some waders too. Um, but but what is it? I see that there's all these different weights, and I'm I mean what does what does that mean in particular? Is is it the is it the fish you intend on catching? Um, or, or what? Or is it a feel thing? I mean... In- so there's, there's um, and I'm sure there's a much more scientific ex- explanation than what I will give you, but basically the, the weight of the line is just what it sounds like. It's the, it's the weight of that fly line, because you, you have to remember when you're, when you're fly fishing, 
Well, when you're any other type of fishing, whatever you're fishing with, your lure, the bait, the bobber, whatever that may be, the weight of the lure is what carries the line out to wherever you're you're wanting to, to fish. With fly line, it's the opposite. The, the lure is the fly, which weighs nothing. So the weight of the line pulls the lure to where you're wanting to fish. So you have to think about it differently. Hmm. Um, and the, the, those line weights that you hear, the two, three, four, five, six, that's the, the weight of that line. So the higher the number, the heavier the line is. But that also coincides with the heavier the rod is. Um, now, not to get it even more confusing, but in some rods, you'll also see uh, some rods are actually marked with two weights. So you might have like a five slash six or a, a seven slash eight, um, which means the rod is technically capable of handling, handling either line. In those cases, you're most of the time you're going to get better performance going with the heavier line. So if it's a five six, go with a six weight line, it's going to, it's going to cast better, it's going to perform better. But that's really what it comes down to. Now, there was a, uh, an article that I ran across, and I don't recall the site off the top of my head, a few weeks ago that I actually uh, linked on the Traditional Outdoors website that actually kind of gives you a high level. If you're fishing for this, then look for these weights uh, or, or expect to use these weights. Um, trout, most trout streams, those kind of things, you're looking at a, a two, three, well... Small creeks, probably a two weight. The average trout stream, something like a three or a four, maybe a five weight. And then when you start getting into your fives and six and sevens, you're talking about, you know, most of the time like bass in a pond, those kind of things. And mm-hmm. then when you go up from there, you're talking about, you know, like striped bass, hybrid bass, or maybe even into some salt water when you get into your, your nines and above. Um, that's real generic and real broad, but hopefully that that helps you and actually helps some other people that may be thinking the same thing. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to listen to, to that a couple of times after we're done, because that's not, ex- <laughs> not at all what I thought that was going to be, <laughs> but no, that's good information, man. And yeah, so basically what and, you're telling me is I just nerded out over, a, over fly line. You did just nerd out over fly line, <laughs> but that's all right. Cause if somebody asked me about arrows and arrow weight, I would, I would do the same exact <laughs> thing. Or, or if you ask a Turkey hunter about shot and chokes, Right. I mean, they'll, they'll nerd out for, you'll get an hour long conversation about, about different shot and all that. So, you know, it's to be expected, but, um, I mean, everything feels a little overwhelming right now. So I'm, but I, I felt the same way when I got into archery and I'm sure after a while it'll be fine. Um, the other question I had for you is that, so I want to start casting. Um, how do you load up a rod to practice casting in your yard? Is there anything in particular, like, do you need, do you just put like, do you have to put something on the end of it or can you just cast a fly line without nothing on the end of it? You, like sh- what? you should put something on the end of it. You, oh, so let me back up. Yes, you could cast with just the fly line. Um, there's, there's some great little lessons that you won't learn if you do that though. Um, so I would recommend, you know, buy you either some, go out and buy some cheap leaders. You could look on eBay or something. You can find some that are really cheap because, as you're learning to cast, um, if you don't put a, a leader and a fly on the line, then you really can't understand what's happening to that fly as part of the cast. Um, and what what you may think is working great without the fly, then you get on the stream and you're finding that you're you're getting knots in the leader because the the uh, you're not letting your your loop 
stretch out uh, fully before you you're on your back cast before you start into your forward cast and those kind of things. So mm-hmm. I would definitely you know get some cheap leaders and and I would tie on uh, a leader. And then for a, uh, instead of using a fly, what I personally do if I'm practicing is I've got some old strike indicators, um, and I can show you what those are. But I just take and I use the ones that are made out of like a synthetic wool or something, and I trim those down so they're fairly small, so it doesn't create a lot of a wind profile. And I just use that as an imitation fly, so there's not a hook to hang on anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, get out in the backyard. That's that's where almost everyone learns how to cast and there's tons of videos. I will tell you, uh, Lefty Cray who passed away uh, a month or so back. Um, he's got a lot of videos on YouTube and probably the, the, the master at teaching people how to fly cast. Well, you gave me a DVD of Lefty. Actually, that's where my Lefty DVD went. Yeah. That's where your Lefty DVD <laughs> went. <laughs> I'm looking at it right here over in the, in the, in the case. <laughs> how long have you had that? That's oh, I got- do. I don't even, I, I've had that thing for, I think you gave it to me when I, the last time I visited you, that's how long I've had it. So, that, so a funny story there. I actually, um, I'm surprised I haven't accused, uh, other friends or coworkers from not returning my stuff and you had it. I had no idea. I don't remember yeah. giving it to you. So yeah, and it, it was so. This was pre the last time we hog hunted together. This would have been um, back when. So remember when I flew down there for Cumberland and the hurricane? It would have been. It would have been then. Nice. Okay. Well, good. Well, at least now I know where it's at because I, I really had wondered where where it had gotten off. To. Well, I got to keep it longer because I got to watch it now. <laughs> so because you said I remember you telling me you said if you're not going to watch it, then don't take it. And I've had it that long, and I haven't watched it. <laughs> well, you haven't had a fly rod. <laughs> no, I haven't. I, and honestly, this this podcast is probably the best thing for me because I probably wouldn't even be interested in it unless I actually was, you know, I want some content. And I think it would be kind of a fun, you know, story for my listeners or for our listeners to to kind of see me go through starting. And, you know, I it might even get some other people in it. So well, and, I, and and I would re- I would make a recommendation to you as well. Um, so one, I think the Cabela's looking at something like Cabela's rod is definitely a good idea. There's there's definitely some cheaper options out there, um, but I think that's a good middle of the road um, setup. And the other thing I would tell you is is don't go too light on the line. So um i would recommend almost probably something in the five weight range so from four to six would be where i would tell you Mm -hmm. i think you're going to be able to learn the easiest with something in that range because heavier than that yes you can cast it farther and you can you can um you can impress yourself more by how far you can cast with a but you're going to wear yourself out because everything's heavier Mm -hmm. um and then anything below a four weight, you really get into it's. You can't cast it as far. It's a, it's a. I think it's a little bit more work to cast them well and accurately. And if there's any wind, then you're fighting that too. So that's just my recommendation. Somebody else may may chime in and say they disagree, and that's fine. So you said a, you said a five or a six. I would I would five would be my target. But five. Okay. But four or six would be – they'd, they'd be fine. But I think five is probably going to give you um, something that you can learn with really well. And, and where you're at, I think it's something that you could um, you can utilize really well as well. Well, I guess we got a great fly shop right here in Rockford too. So I've heard that. And, I mean, I'm right by the Rogue River. 
almost right on it. I've hunted by it for a long time, and I got a creek in my backyard too. It's not very big, but it's a creek, so there's some practice I could I could do, um, and actually hit water with it and have something to aim at. And so I don't know. I think it could be fun, man. Um, I'm looking forward to it. But uh, well, enough about that. By the way, if you, folks, if you do have any advice for me, go ahead and get on our our Facebook uh, community and uh, feel free to post it. That's I'm or DM me or whatever. I'm I'm open to it. Um, just yeah, let me know. But Steve, we got a pretty good topic today, and we should talk about it. What? So you want to introduce it? We well, yeah, we do. So and and we've been kicking this idea around a little bit. Um, and I know uh, I don't know. I guess a month back now, I actually you know created a, a an email account podcast that at traditionaloutdoors.com and, and ask people if they had any questions, you know, they could shoot an, uh, an email to us. Um, and then, you know, also watching some of the things that um, go on on social media. Uh, and, I, you know, I really don't want this to, to turn into a uh, bashing social media or anything like that. But, you know, you just see people um, asking questions on on social media and and i sit back and just shake my head sometimes that not only some of the answers that they get but you just sit back and well so i guess you have to break it up a little bit there's there's a difference between asking um questions around traditional archery versus questions around bow hunting with traditional gear um, and sometimes those two don't necessarily, as, as much as it sounds like they should play together, they, sometimes they don't. Does that make sense? No, it makes total sense. And it was, I mean, this goes back well before social media into, into forums. Um, you know, I, I, the, th- the thing about it. Okay. So when people are new, they, they don't, you got to remember, they just stumbled into this. So they don't know all the resources that there are that they can, or where they need to go to find anything. Um, so the people who aren't new can't remember what it's like to be new anymore and they just get annoyed with it. And from the other side of it, you know, where people would post, I, I just remember it on, uh, on, um, certain forums you'd post, Hey, what, what is a, what is the best bow for me? What is mm-hmm. the best broadhead and what is the best? Well, most of us, I mean, would already know that, well, that's up to you. That that's not something I can help you with, but I can tell you what I like. Um, but it, usually, never, but it never comes off that way. No, it doesn't. It, what it usually comes off is stickies. Check the stickies, or search the search the forum. And and I, every time I every or conduct your research first, and they get annoyed by it. And every single time I saw that, I was like, I wanted to post. Well, hey, you know, if if we get people in here who stop asking this question, this forum's going to die really fast because there's just not enough content. I mean, what do you, if you got everybody who's already a seasoned veteran, what are you going to talk about? You, you have to entertain those people. Well, social media is the same thing nowadays. It's like you get into social media, you get on Facebook and whatever. Everybody's already heard the question over and over again. They know it results because of the question and they want to avoid it altogether. So they end up just, and plus they don't have the time for it. So they're just like, well, you know, they give a kind of a smart Alec response and go on about their day. Well, and here's the, and here's the here's the other part, and this is what really irritates me, and this is mostly social media. It's you've got a lot of experts, and I use that term very loosely. And and look, I, I'm the first one to say I don't consider myself an expert. I can tell you what experience has taught me, but I don't consider myself an expert. But you get the experts that 
they throw out they throw out answers to these questions, and you're just sitting back scratching your head, going, "Why on earth would you would you make that recommendation to begin with?" Um, and and there are some there. Are, here here's the other piece that I found. The 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 people that know what they're talking about in most cases are the last ones to respond. And I don't know if it's just because they're sitting back scratching their head trying to figure out, do I even get into this mess? Or maybe it's because they're out shooting their bows and bow hunting instead of sitting on their keyboard trying to tell everybody else how to do it. I, I don't know which it is. A little, a little of both and a little bit of contacting them personally. It, exactly. So <laughs> so we've got a few that we're going to go through here and, and not in any particular order. I've kind of jotted some things down. Um, and some of these are, again, questions that have been submitted to us, people asking questions, and some of them are just things that we've, and there's going to be a lot of people listening to this going, oh, yeah, I've seen that before. But, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the first one, and you kind of touched on it here, is, you know, so somebody that's new, they're, they're, they're either just wanting to, they're just getting interested in, in traditional archery or, or traditional bow hunting, and they, they just, kind of like your fly rod question a few minutes ago, they they don't know where to start so what do they do they go on social media they go on a forum and they say so i'm a, I'm a newbie um should i buy a longbow or a recurve oh and then you you see that question and your your head starts to hurt immediately not because the person asked a bad question but you know what's coming 60 mm-hmm. percent or more of the people that answer that question are going to tell that person you need to buy the bow that they're shooting. Yeah, you get a one-line answer. It'll be Bear Montana, 45 pounds. Black Widow, <laughs> uh, Hill, you know, whatever. It, and that's nothing against those bows. They're all great bows. Um, but that's not a good answer, especially somebody that's just starting out. That You know, you don't know. You don't know what. Maybe the person has never even shot a bow before. Or maybe they've been shooting a compound. Um, so, and I, I, I typically will have this general response if when I finally get around to just going, okay, I've got to try to save this, this, this poor individual. Um, the first thing I'll tell them is nobody can tell you what kind of bow you, you're, you are going to enjoy or want to shoot. I don't care who they are. There's no way they can tell you that. Would you, would you agree with that? I would agree with that. Absolutely. Um, Go ahead. I'm sorry. I would, I, I would follow that up with, basically they got to get their feet wet. So I guess I, I kicked the question back to you knowing that what, what would you tell them to base their choice on? If now go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Find a, try to find a local club. You know, there's, there's local traditional clubs everywhere. We, in fact, we have, we have several of them in Georgia. I know you've got, You've got multiple, mm-hmm. you know, in, in Michigan and there's even national organizations. So, you know, get out again, find some forums, ask those kind of questions. Does anybody know of a, of a, you know, traditional uh, club or a club that caters to traditional shooters in the vicinity of any town USA? Mm-hmm. Um, one thing about traditional shooters, you get, you show up and show interest. Any of them will let you shoot their bow. The only exception to that might be if somebody's shooting a self bow. They mm-hmm. might ask you what your draw weight is, and they might really watch you. But I've never seen anybody say, no, you can't shoot my bow. Nope. Or they have – and plus, not many of us have one bow. I mean, most of us have a lot of bows. 
Um, I, I remember so, when I used to have one bow. <laughs> yeah, it, it didn't take me very long to have more than one. I'll tell you that much. But um, the the other thing I would I would throw into that equation is is you, you tell somebody to find a local club or a local range, even a local range. Um, first and foremost, there's there's two reasons for it, and the the first one is yeah they'll get to try something and they'll get they'll get to ask questions. But two, when you get that person, you want to get that person involved with other people. You want to get them into that community. If they do not find a community, the chances of them sticking with that with archery are not mm-hmm. very good. Um, agree. It, it can be a, it can be an overwhelming thing. It can be, um, you know, you you can you can spend a lot of money finding stuff you don't like real fast too. Um, you you there's skills that need to be learned, maintenance stuff like that. Um, all the little things you pick up from people. Um, and you make friends who encourage you to continue. Uh, without that, it could be a pretty lonely endeavor that, you know, hey, I bought this bow. It's in a box now on my shelf. It ends up in my garage sale or on Craigslist. Um, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I can yeah. tell you from personal experience, my when I first started switching over, I bought, um, I actually had two recurves. And it was kind of fun and it was cool and it was new, but. I was never consistent enough to be, um, to really enjoy myself. And I went to a, the local club that I'm still a member of in Gainesville, uh, North Georgia traditional. And, um, uh, Joe Coots was there and he actually let me shoot his, uh, longbow and the first arrow out of it. And I was like, Oh, this is it. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of people you'll know, I mean, you'll just, you, you got to try these different things. Mm-hmm. The the other thing I would say is uh, now this is a pretty unique thing here in Michigan. So I, 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 I can't really apply it to that many other places, but you should find out. So every state's got an archery organization of some, of some kind, some kind of traditional organization. So what you'll want to do is you'll kind of want to look for that and then find out and this is for newbies I'm talking to, find out if there's any restrictions on on that organization. Like longbow or recurve, if somebody asks me that in Michigan, I'm going to tell them you might want to consider a longbow just because one of the biggest shoots of the year is put on by the Michigan Longbow Association and you can only shoot a longbow. It's not because they discriminate against recurves, but they celebrate the longbow. That's what their organization was, was built to do, was celebrate the longbow. So they shoot longbows at that shoot. I always tell people you can shoot as any bow you want until you go to the Great Lakes Longbow or until you go to the GLLI, the 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 Great Great Lakes Lakes Longbow Invitational. Great Lakes Longbow Invitational, (laughs) and and no, we don't allow recurves because it's a longbow invitational. Um, In if you don't have one, people do, but that's something to consider. Like you. That adds, and then if you join that organization, you get an extra shoot. So that's two shoots out of the year that are longbow only. Mm-hmm. So that might push you into at least owning a longbow. Um, so that's something to think about. Uh, there, there might be some you might find a range, and they only shoot feta style or or whatever that is, Olympic style, where they shoot target recurves and they shoot circle targets at great yardages. When my wife got into, so we have a local, we have a local club in town, the West Michigan archery center. It's right down the road. Um, their, their club is dedicated to that style of shooting. They have a 3d course too, but it's mainly field archery. 
and all the bows are set up there. Uh, they're, they're all takedown recurves with sights, and they're set up to shoot that way. So when Jessica first went there, you know, they had her, they had her shooting, you know, with a bear bow, she had her long bow with her and they had her shooting at, um, basically breaking paper. And, uh, then they said that was during the winter and they said, well, right now we're shooting at however many meters, it was basically 20 yards, but in the class was going to continue. And that's the style they were teaching. They were teaching bow upright where Jess was shooting with more of a cant and stuff and heavier arrows. Everybody had these really thin arrows. It was a completely different experience and she wasn't scoring as high as the other people were. Mm -hmm. And then that class, the reason why she finally stopped is because that class was going to take it to the field when the weather got nice and they were shooting at yardages. Her bow would not hit. She had a 35 pound long bow with heavier wood arrows and then eventually carbons with 145 grain points on them at the time, but th- those arrows would not reach as far. And we knew that. So it's funny you bring that up because we're going to come back to that topic if we get far enough into this. Yeah. And I don't, are. I don't want to go too far into it, but that's a major consideration. If you end up finding the only range, you know, of in town and it's that style and you don't want to shoot that style, all the advice you're going to hear from them are, is not going to be accurate for you. But, but the you bottom know. line is try different bows, especially mm-hmm. when you're just starting out. Because to be honest, that's going to be the easiest time for you to try different bows without any bias or or opinion because you haven't preformed any. the The other things that I would say real quickly, and then I think we I want to move on because we do have a couple more I want to get through. But um, the last thing you should do is go out and spend a lot of money on buying a bow as your first bow before you get out and shoot some, because the chances are it's going to end up on a forum or on a uh, Craigslist or something, you're going to sell it. It'll be on, you know, Facebook. You'll you'll sell it because it's you'll find something you like better, and you can save yourself that that headache by just getting out and trying to shoot as many bows as you can up front. The other piece of that that I'll say is never, ever, 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 unless you just hit the lottery and you've got a bunch of money you want to throw away. The last thing you should do is go out and buy a brand new or a custom bow. Um, mm-hmm. They're great. I love them. I've owned, I've, I've bought several. I know you've bought several, Nick, but not your first bow. Um, that There's plenty of time for that, and you'll get to that. And when you do get to that point, you'll enjoy it much more if you'll hold off at the beginning of doing something like that. No, I went through six bows my first year. I mean, I started out with a cheap takedown. I, I started getting into used recurves. And then I eventually got a new longbow and fell in love with the longbow. It was not my first choice. Um, the one thing I will add here is that don't let anybody tell you that one is easier than the other. Um, somebody told me early on that longbows were way harder than recurves. That just isn't the case. Um, if you're a well, taller... It, it's it, not the case for you. It's not the case for me, but right. it, it wasn't true for me. I'm a, I'm a real tall guy. Most longbows, I mean, I tried a 66-inch longbow and fell in love with it. I mean, it was it was the perfect cast. I'd shot 64-inch recurves and 62-inch recurves, and, and mm. they had a pretty decent cast, but I liked the cast of a longbow. I liked the way it felt in my hands. It felt great in my grip, with the grip. You have to try things. You can't just take somebody's word for it, and I think I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, and I don't want to there's, – there's, there's a lot of – I'm sitting here listening to you, and there's a lot of things I could say as well – but we'll come we'll come back to that on another time as far as why why I shoot longbows now and we can talk about why you shoot longbows and why you prefer them. But I don't want to bias people's opinion. Mm-hmm. The, the the one thing that I would say 
um, which is kind of an oddity for me. And I'm going to jump to the next one. Um, so when I first started shooting, I couldn't shoot a recurve. I could shoot them. I couldn't shoot them consistently well. Um, I had all kinds of problems. After shooting longbows for years, now I can go back to a recurve. And it takes me just a little bit to adjust, but I can shoot recurves much better now than I ever could when I first started. And I can't explain why. It's just one of those odd things, but because uh, I I own both, I don't. You don't own a recurve currently, do you, Nick? No, but I but I shoot a longbow that basically has a recurve grip. So I mean, it's it's kind of similar. I mean, when you're, I think I think with a beginner, it has more to do with what the grip is. If it's a stick yeah. longbow or it's a or it's a pistol grip, that's the two things you're going to find. Um, and I'll admit that you know a stick grip it is a little less forgiving than a pistol grip is, uh, especially on your arms and stuff. So, you know, it's, uh, it's just one of those things you gotta, you gotta try some things out and, and I, I, I'm not really, I can flip back and forth, but like you said, Steve, I need a little, I need a little bit of adjustment. Um, but when I hit on the fact that my longbow has got more of a pistol grip, that's getting into a whole other different kind of bow, which is a hybrid longbow. And those exist too. <laughs> so it's not, a, it's not an easy thing to, to just get into, but again, it all, it all comes down to, to doing your research, trying bows, talking to people and get your feet wet, but realize that the first bow you buy is probably not the, going to be the one you end up with. Exactly right. So that was, that was, uh, uh, as, as crazy it may sound after listening to all that, that was the easy one. Now, now we're getting <laughs> some of these others. So this next one that I'm going to bring up, uh, was actually sent to us in an email, uh, and I've actually been asked this question multiple times, you know, from the simply traditional.net side as well. So um, I think the question came to us as um, what's the best two blade broadhead? Um, and I want to expound upon that quite a bit. So, first of all, I'm not going to answer the question. Um, from a, I'm not going to answer the question in a specific way. When it comes to a two blade, and I do shoot two blades, I'm a, I'm, that's practically all I shoot. And Nick will probably get a jab in here with me at some point about three blade heads, but that'll be okay too. Um, so I, I'm, a, I'm a two blade cut on contact. And what I would say is for the most part, as long as you're shooting um, a two blade cut on contact broadhead, single bevel, double bevel, uh, arguments can be pros and cons can be spouted off for all of that. Um, but what I would say is I, if you're shooting a contact, a cut on contact, two blade head, you are shooting the best penetrating head period from a penetration perspective. There's a lot of other things that come into play here. Um, but cut on contact, two blades are going to be the best penetrating head bar none. Doesn't matter what anybody says, three blades are not going to penetrate as well. Doesn't mean you can't get a pass through but they just can't, there's too much surface area, there's friction, there's all kinds of things that come into that. Um, so what's best? Sharp, sharp, sharp. As long as you've got a good cut on contact two blade head that you can get sharp and it needs to be scary sharp, there's always going to be a way to make one sound better than another one in an argument. And I'll leave it at that. Would you disagree with any of that, Nick? No, I would not. Um, brand, I'm that's going to boil down to preference for the most part for what you're going for. Um, you're absolutely right. When it comes, when it comes down to it, you know, a a good sharp two blades going to be the best thing that you can possibly have. Um, as far as penetration is concerned. Absolutely. 
Now, all of that said, there are some additional considerations, and I don't want to touch a little bit on three and four blades. I won't go into those as much because I don't use them, so I don't feel like I can talk to them all that much. But from a two-blade broadhead perspective, you've got a couple of things you can look at even there. Um, one is blade width. Um, you'll often see um, or hear referred to, if you don't know, a three-to-one ratio head. And all that means is the, the length of the head is three times the width of the head is basically what a three-to-one ratio head is. Um, Grizzly, Stoss, um, uh, those are, and I know there's more, that's just two that I think I've right off the top of my head. Those are three-to-one ratio heads. Um, again, that's going to be your best from a penetration perspective, probably the most efficient heads out there from sheer penetration perspective. Um, there's also an argument can be made for some wider two-blade heads. Um, Simmons Sharks is one that comes to mind. Uh, Eclipse makes a wide head. Um, help me out here, Nick. Who Ace, Ace Express is a wide head. Ace Express um, is a wide head. The, the, the heads I hunt with are wider currently. Magnus uh, Magnus Classics, that's a wider head. Zwicky No Mercies are a yep. wider head. Exactly. Yep. So with those heads, you've got a wider cut and therefore on a let's just say on a, a marginal hit you've got the opportunity for that wider blade to still sneak in there and, and cut a vital so um, there are good arguments that can be made for a wider head the penetration factor is going to go down some but on the majority of the animals anybody is going to hunt in north america it doesn't matter uh, bone is going to be your limiting factor and most of them are going to still perform well on um, you know white tail uh, mule deer those kind of things um and then you've got the whole single bevel versus double bevel uh, i'm a single bevel fan but i still hunt with double bevel and i can tell you i've had just as short of blood trails with a double bevel as i have with single bevel i think when you start looking at the various types weigh your options for what you want to achieve whether you you know you're you're going to focus solely on um penetration or do you want to focus solely on um, maximum uh, maximum damage or maximum wound channel and just you know make the decision for yourself i don't think you can necessarily go wrong with any two blade head uh, you're gonna if you ask the question on facebook again you're going to get that ford versus chevy it's whatever everybody's shooting <laughs> and what they think is the best that's what they're going to tell you, you have to shoot and it's just not so there's i don't i can't think of a two blade head out there that I would be worried about taking to the field to hunt with. I can't think of a one cut on contact nope. two blade. Nope, you're good with a file. They all work. Exactly. Um, so real briefly on three blade and four blade. So I used to be, well, I still know him. I know the gentleman that used to own uh, Thunder Valley Archery. They, uh, up until a few years ago, they made Magnus Classics. They made Snuffers. They made, uh, pretty sure they made Winslow Woodsman's. They made Stoss Heads. And I just asked him one day, you know, what do you shoot and why? And he was a big, big advocate of the Snuffers. Um, and when I asked him why, his response was, well, you only get to send, you only get to send that arrow through the animal once. And he's right. You can send, you know, you could potentially shoot other arrows, but you only get the chance to send that one arrow, the arrow through the animal one time. And he wanted as much uh, tissue damage as he could get with one arrow. 
I get it. The same thing would go to a four blade. Um, but you do have to understand that your, your, your penetration comes down, especially if you encounter bone. That's not saying you can't get passed through people. Don't start sending us hate mail. <laughs> but the penetration factor does go down with a three blade. And the times that I've shot them, I've had, I've had some real bad experiences. So go ahead and throw your stones, Nick. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's just, it's just science gang. I mean, it's more surface area going through an animal that has to pass through the animal. It's it's three and four four surfaces now edges that have to pass through an animal. It's just not going to penetrate as well. Now, if you look up snuffer eyes or snuffers on Google, you're going to get tons of huge gaping wounds. These used to show up on the forums all the time, Steve. I know you've seen them. Mm-hmm. Well, they'll have threads that say snuffer eyes, and it will be. It, it is just the most horrific looking wounds you've ever seen on an animal. But you got to understand, those are perfect scenarios. People will say shot placement, and that's great. You're like you, you absolutely shot placement is is a, is a big deal. But three blades and four blades just do not do as well, like Steve says, on bone. And I knew a guy that tried snuffers for a year, <laughs> and. <laughs> And, you- and we and we and we we had a he he had a he had a couple little encounters with a collarbone that didn't go very well <laughs> and swore off them. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and, I, I, I'm assuming you're making fun of me now. Yes, I um, am. Now, some yeah. people. Now, we should talk about. I mean, just for a second, game. I know some people who think snuffers for turkeys and stuff and birds are just awesome. Uh, you know, they, they swear by it. Absolutely. Um, you know, and so. A- and again, I will go as far as to say, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to cut you off now. Oh, hey, go ahead. Um, I don't think you can go wrong with any of them. To sit here and say that uh, a two-blade, three-blade, four-blade, cut-on-contact head, there's pros and cons to all of them. Um, arguably, you could potentially have a, a lighter or lesser blood trail with a two-blade. I've only had a handful in a, a lot of a lot of deer that I I had, in fact, I can only think of one off the top of my head where it was a perfect hit, and there was there was just wasn't a blood trail, um, and and that's out of a lot, but it can happen. Um, but if you place the shot well with a three blade snuffer or a four blade Magnus Classic or what, I mean, they're going to get the job done. Um, a mm-hmm. lot of people spend way too much time. I would much rather people spend more time worrying about how sharp their heads are than what head they're shooting. And how to treat and how to treat their point. I think that's a big. Nobody talks about it. I think that's a big deal. Um, like with a snuffer, I'll tell you this. I, I shot snuffers once too. My problem with snuffers, even practicing, is I'd roll that tip over on the end. Yeah, you need no, to clip the tip or yes. file it down. Nobody, it. nobody, nobody taught me that you you chisel point it or you mm-hmm. you roll it or whatever and i always thought wow man these, these what drew me to snuffers was how well they spun out of the package on an arrow because they were right to a perfect point after one or two shots you know through a broadhead targeted or into some sand or something they, it, all, that's all it took to roll that thing over um the other thing about a snuffer i'll point out is that and i'm not picking on snuffers here i think some people swear by them they're great heads um those gaps in them those gaps in them will stuff will get caught in there when they're going through an animal. That's all there is to it. Now they do make three blades. The VPA makes one. That's a three to one ratio that has yep. no vents in it. And I've heard those have great penetration. 
Um, well, so they, you could, they would definitely be better than a vented. Yes. Yeah, so you just you got to do and vented's make noise too. Some people say they don't, but they they do. Um, there's just things you got to consider and you have to do your own research and Hey, maybe you can find some heads used and, and try them. But the biggest thing is you got to learn how to treat them and how to sharpen them and keep them sharp. That's the number one thing. Well, personally, I'm not. So the whole noise thing about feathers and invented heads and all that, uh, I'm, I'm a firm believer by the time the animal hears that it's too late if you're doing your job, but uh, but yeah, they they can be noisier, and if that bothers you, then you know that's another reason. To exactly, stay away from and I'm and I'm not saying like my arrows aren't perfectly silent. I'm <laughs> I, I think that I've had too many arrows. I've had the quietest bows I've owned. I've had deer duck them, and so it, you know, once you get out to that you're to 15 yards or so, it doesn't matter. Um, but anyway, um, we the probably other, there is one thing. No- Go There's ahead. another pro real quick on the three blade is the sharp, the ability to sharpen them. A lot of people have less trouble um, getting a three blade head sharp. Um, personally, I would point to that being more of an excuse for not learning how to sharpen a, a two blade head, but it is a valid point. I would much rather somebody go in with a sharp three blade than a dull two blade. And I'll add one more thing on there too. Try not to, this leads into our next, our next, uh, our next little item here on these, but yeah, this is try, the battle one. Try to stay. I would say try to stay away from like the Montec G five stuff, the stuff that's real stubby and and that don't they don't have a very good ratio. You're just you're not shooting a bow that's going three hundred feet per second, and these little stubby chisel point things just aren't going to get the job done. Um, so well, I anyway. think there's I think there could be. I, I will agree with you as a general rule. Yes. Uh, I think there are some, probably some exceptions to that, but as a general rule, hundred percent wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, can you shoot a muzzy out of a traditional bow or excuse me, a trocar tipped muzzy out of a traditional bow and, and get results? Yes. I'm just, uh, I think what we're saying is there's better options. Yes. That, that's what I'm um, saying. It, you know, can you can you shoot a mechanical out of a, a a longbow and kill an animal? Yes, but there are much better options out there, and I would never recommend anybody doing that. Um, you know, I have heard arguments from the compound side between because even when I when years ago when I hunted with a compound, I shot uh, fixed blade heads. Um, but I did hear an argument not long ago from and it was actually from a guy that said, you know, if I've got a guy coming into camp with a a improperly tuned bow trying to shoot a cut on contact two blade head that's poorly tuned and isn't sharp versus shooting a expandable broadhead that flies like a field tip that I've got a five percent chance of it failing and the blade's not opening, I'm going with a five percent chance that, that blade won't open every time. And mm-hmm. I get it. That it makes sense. It doesn't make sense in the traditional world, but I just, I wanted to throw that out there. No, and I've seen people who actually go to a rage or something like that on a traditional arrow just because they're, for the first time, they start using these fixed heads and it's usually compound or compound uh, converts. And I, I don't want to pick on you guys, but I've heard this too many times at the range where, man, I just couldn't get good flight out of that broadhead. I, I, but I'm getting great flights out of the, a great flight out of these rages. You know, they Did fly you- just like field points. Then your arrow was not tuned. Exactly. You didn't tune the arrow to the broadhead. You didn't spend enough time. And there's, there, there's, there's trad guys I see that with too, though. Mm-hmm. So, oh, I mean, absolutely. 
um, especially with the, well, um, XYZ broadhead flies great, but the ABC broadhead sucks. And I can tell you, as long as the weight's the same, I can switch out broadheads from 3 to 1 ratio to the, the really wide 160 grain Magnus on the same arrow, same bow. And if the arrow and the weight is tuned properly, it makes no difference mm-hmm. at, at, at hunting at hunting ranges. Now, if I step back and start flinging arrows at 50, 60, 70 yards out of a longbow, then, yeah, you might see a difference. But um, but the point is, is that these mechanical heads are, are made for a weapon that shoots 300 feet per second. Not or more. for or more. No, geez, I don't even know where they're at now. <laughs> but but they're not meant for a bow that shoots one sixty to one eighty. Right. Um it, it just isn't. It's it's not meant for it. Once you hit that hide, nope. I mean it just ain't gonna it ain't gonna happen for you. Um but hey Steve, we should talk about how how do you feel about replacement blades or replaceable blade heads? Um so in in the traditional community i would there's a few exceptions um i think the muzzy phantom is probably an okay head that has replaceable blades but for the most part i would say they don't you know they're not there are better options out there i'll leave it at that Um, there there was a uh there was another one too that my dad had for a while i don't know are they thunderhead no, the um, Thunderhead had a the, the Thunderheads that I'm familiar with, and I know there's there's so there's there's more than one broadhead that's been called a Thunderhead, but the the uh, the NAP the NAP Thunderhead was a it was a chisel point head. Okay, what you're probably thinking about so um, Satellite used to make one call. I think it was called a Titan or something like that, and it was a replaceable cut on contact which i i used to i've actually hunted with them. There was a, lot. a there was a big old two blade that had replacement bleeders. That's the one I'm thinking of, and a lot of guys don't even bother putting the bleeders on there. And I thought that was a thunderhead, but it might not be. But I guess I guess that doesn't matter. Basically, if you are going to use a replacement blade broadhead, they're still not going to be as sharp as you think they are out of the box. I have yet. So personally, I have yet to see a replaceable blade from any broadhead that I considered as sharp as I can get a two blade in. So and I will, in att- my- and I will attest to that. In my opinion, that's not sharp enough. Um, and I know the first time you you saw how sharp I get my heads, you were you were a bit mesmerized until we sat down and actually showed. I mean, now you can do it. It, mm-hmm. it just takes a little practice. Yep, it, it's a, it's a feel thing. You just gotta it's you gotta spend a little time with a file or a stone or a strop and and get a process down. And and once you figure out how to get that burr and get the burr off and mirror polish them or whatever you're gonna do, it's really not that difficult. And from that point on, you can just strop them and keep them nice and nice and sharp. Exactly. So so let's let's I think we we probably beat broadheads to death, and we'll get. We'll probably get one or two hate mails from it. That's okay. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. So so we'll go back to social media, and this is one that every time you turn around, it shows up. What's the best arrow material? And and here I'm definitely, you know, we're 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 talking about the the, the traditional folks, um, and you got a lot of people that are passionate about the arrows, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, I, and I say this all the time. I've got. I think if there's a material that you can make an arrow from, I've got it and I shoot it. Um, I've got wood. I've got river cane. I've got bamboo. I've got aluminum. I've got the old microflights, fiberglass, um, and carbon. And I shoot them all, and 
they all fly out of a traditional bow, just like an arrow is supposed to. Um, but there's a lot of people that, you know, well, you got to shoot wood if you're traditional. And you know what? Hey, if that's what if that's what trips you trigger, Tano, have at it. I mean, I, I've, <laughs> I, I love shooting wood. Um, uh, you know, I, uh, in fact, I'm. Yeah, I, my, my, the, the 10 point last year, I was I was hunting wood arrows. Um, I hunted wood arrows when I hunted in Michigan with you guys. Um, but I hunted a lot with carbons too. So, you know, if we if we sit back and think about it, and I'm going to try to go through some pros and cons, Nick, and and you may have a, a few to throw in. But when you if you look at wood and you start thinking about pros and cons, the, the first pro that comes to mind is, you know, it's recognized as being traditional. Um it is the traditional shaft because it's 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 been around the longest, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the other good one that I always like, and I must admit, I'm as big a fan of it as anything, is if you're shooting cedar and you break one, you get that wonderful smell from that poured over cedar. There's nothing like it. Uh, weight, generally, I think for the most part, you can say that wood is heavier, so you get a you get a heavier arrow, which equates to penetration. Um, so I would say that's that's probably a con. Another I would say there, I mean, a pro, excuse me. There's probably some things that I think of carbon is maybe more flexible about that, but still, as a general rule, car, uh, wood is heavy. So you can get a heavy, deep penetrating arrow. And I would also say that I, a lot of people will, you'll hear people say, well, wood's a quieter arrow. They, they are definitely, and from my experience, they're definitely quieter. The energy transfer that, they're, I mean, they're dense, everything that they just, they are. If they're quieter, you'll notice it. And they're just beautiful. Oh, well, they can mm-hmm. be. I've seen some ugly wood arrows too. But they, they can, can be, be bad. They, <laughs> they, 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 they could be a works, works of art. Um, well, they, well, well, there's a reason why they're putting fancy wood grains on some of the carbons, guys, and, exactly. and the aluminums, because they they're nothing like it. I mean, they there's nothing like the real thing as far as that's concerned. And they're fun to make. They're fun to make. If you get into it and, and you like working with your hands... Mm-hmm. It's an art project, man. There's a, they, you can make them as individual as you are. Um, very, I mean, with carbons and aluminums and everything, you can you can do some customization with wraps and whatnot. But when you start building wood arrows, there's something real. A lot of people like some people like the process more than they actually like shooting them. So there's that and, to consider. And with some of the and some of the materials that are out there now, the woods, um, you can get some really heavy arrows. I mean, um, Portoford cedar, to be honest. As much as I love to smell them, and as much as that's the the quote traditional shaft material, it's probably my least favorite wood. One, it's 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 more prone to break, and it's not as heavy. But you know, Douglas fir, Sherwood shafts, those are real heavy. Um, you can still find some lodgepole pine, sometimes called um, uh, uh, chundu. Those are real heavy, and then you've got ash is probably my favorite. It's it's, it's a pain to straighten, mm-hmm. but. Ash is indestructible. I've, mm-hmm. I've actually split hex blunts with ash shafts before. Oh, yeah, they are. They're tough. I mean, yeah, like you said, though, you got to, that's another, for you newbies out there, that's another level of complication. You might need a little bit of heat. You're going to need a little heat to straighten that up or it ain't going to stay. And then you've got um, Kevin Forrester who's making the, the hardwood shafts and he does everything from leopard wood, mahogany, and red balau. And I mean, he's got some really heavy shafts and some really durable. I've, I bought a bunch of um, uh, Jatoba, I think is how you pronounce it, Brazilian cherry, and those things are just unbelievably hard, and they're 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 really good mass too. And a lot of times you can get like a 
a real high spine in, in a, a low diameter. So you can get like 60, 60 65 spine in a, a 516 shafts, which is pretty cool. Yep, it is. Um, cons with wood, they break. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that if, if you shoot wood, you're going to have that wonderful smell from the cedars and you're going to break one from time to time. And we'll talk about some of the durability thing with, with carbons later, but um, that's one of the reasons I, I do shoot a lot of carbons is I think they're probably the most durable shaft. And I'll, I'll expound upon that in a little bit because not necessarily out of the box. The other thing with, car, with wood is, uh, especially for a, a, a beginner, um, that might not be a welcome thing is, you know, things such as weather can have an impact on wood. So, you know, they can, they can become unstraight. Um, mm-hmm. if they're, if they're built well and sealed right and those kind of things, I would say the, the, the odds of that happening are lower, but it does happen. I've seen, I've seen people shooting wood arrows that I don't know how they got down to range or they've warped so bad and they don't, they don't, they don't know how to fix it. They don't know what mm-hmm. to do. No, I absolutely agree. And I, and I would, I, I would say that whenever a beginner comes to me and asks me about arrows, I seldom ever start with them with a wood arrow for recommendation. And the reason why I say this is because when you're starting, you're worried so much on getting your form right and what you're doing wrong. You don't need the added factor of your arrow not being straight and and not working properly. Um, You you just need everything to be as consistent as possible in those early months in that early year so you can figure out what you're doing wrong. And it's it's so much easier and so much better on you on your psyche to to, to, to know that all right I'm doing something wrong because this is not my these are not my arrows it's just an added complication now if somebody is getting into traditional archery or bow hunting for the reason that they want to make everything then I'd give them that caveat but I'm not going to push them away from wood right um, they just need to understand that's what they're getting into it for though. And they kind of have to mature into it, I think, unless yes. they just maybe have a family member or something that that just knows. You know, kids or something like that would be different. But mm-hmm. if somebody that's just has – they have no guidance. They're just getting into it. I agree with you. I think carbon is probably a better option to get them started. Yeah. So uh, what about what about aluminum, Steve? Um, the pros, it's either straight or it's not. Um, you know, they're either going to be straight or they're going to be bent. Uh, there is ways to straighten them, but – I've never been a big fan. Of I, I wouldn't recommend them. I got a tool made for it, and honestly, it, you, it's not even worth it. They can be very forgiving, especially in certain uh, certain size shafts. Uh, and I know I'll forget some twenty eighteens, twenty one seventeens, twenty two fourteens, twenty two sixteens, twenty two nineteens, and then some of the heavier ones. And I'm talking about some really heavy shafts. People that know aluminum are going, God, what is he shooting? But twenty four nineteens. All of those are really solid shafts, and they're very forgiving shafts, meaning they'll work from a lot of different bows mm-hmm. um, um, within reason. I mean, you can't yep. shoot, you can't expect to shoot one out of a forty-five pound bow and a seventy-pound bow, but within and reason, I tell they're you, very forgiving. And I tell you what, I, I have a lot of experience with aluminum. Um, they uh, they're very straight, very consistent. They have great weight, mm-hmm. fantastic on the weight. Um, and uh, I always shot a 2117 or a 2216, and I even one time I tried a 2018, but those bent a little bit too much for me. 
um you know when i was shooting in the ranges and stuff if you hit one you get a deflection off one it was bent you know that's it but the other thing i will say about about aluminum is that they're very easy to work on they're they're easy to cut off they're easy to you can heat them up you know you can take you you can take your your inserts out you can you know everything i mean that's they they're not going to react poorly to heat like a carbon wood or you know wood obviously you know you catch on fire if you heat it <laughs> so you know, I do that. Um, but that's one of the, the, my favorite thing about aluminum arrows. And I still, I still have 22 16s that I shoot out of certain bows. Um, the 22 16s shoot the most like my wood arrows as far as weight's concerned, but they're easier to work on just because you can heat them up. You can in, and they're, they're really, they're durable in that way. They can, they can take that. And that, that, that makes a difference. And there's another pro there for somebody just starting out is that they're typically cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, you can, a lot of times you can actually go and buy them on closeout at sporting goods stores. They'll have veins on them, but take a, a razor knife, strip the veins on, refletch them, and, and you can get them really cheap. Um, cons, to me, they they bend easily for the most part, uh, relatively speaking. Some of them can be a bit tougher, but they can, they bend. Um, and again, like I said before, once they bend to me, they're they're done. Um and to me, the aluminum era is noisier than any of the other shafts. That's just me, and it may just be my ears, but I hear them in flight. <laughs> no, I, t- I tell you, I, I don't know about in flight, but I can tell you that when you take them out on a, on a you know, maybe a, a cold morning in the winter, when you get a little bit of frost on your on your shelf mm-hmm. or something, they are loud. I mean, they well, just... It's just always seemed like to me, and again, I don't, I don't worry about it from an animal perspective mm-hmm. as much as I just don't like hearing. It's almost like I can hear it, like a a, a tinny sound as it's as it's going down range. Well, uh, and and they cling around your quiver too. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's there's that too. They they have that kind of rattle can effect. I mean, they're, you know. Plus, I mean, you can get the wood ones. They don't, they don't look very traditional. I mean, some people think they do, but they're mainly in camo. I mean, the unless leg- you, yeah, and the yeah, legacies, yeah, unless you get the legacies, and and those are a really nice arrow, but you're paying you're paying a lot more for them. Sure. So for the for the look and and whatnot, I still so, like the old orange, the, the autumn orange. Well, if you can find the old autumn orange, they're awesome. All right, so that brings us to the lowly carbon, the the bane of of traditional archers everywhere. Um, <laughs> So, you know, and I say that in jest, there's a lot of traditional guys that swear by carbon. Um, and it's, that's really, while aluminum gets tossed around here and there, the, the wood versus carbon is the Ford versus Chevy debate in the traditional community when it comes to arrows. Um, I, I, you know, I love carbons and we've talked about this a lot. Um, and I know you, you shoot both, I shoot both, but if, if it comes down to it for me, um, in most situations, if I sit down and, and go through the pros and cons of each, I'm going to end up putting a carbon arrow in my quiver. From a sheer hunting perspective, take out the tradition, take out the the uh, the appearance, the appeal, all that stuff. If it just comes down to functionality of putting an arrow through an animal, I'm going to go with carbon. How about you? I'm right there, too. Um, I've taken deer with all three actually. Um, and same here, you know, once I, once I got, I kind of got that deer with a wood arrow, which was a goal of mine that year. I went back to carbon after that. Um, I, I tend to, 
I tend to shoot carbon. I, I just tend to shoot it more consistently. Um, I, I will agree with you. They, they are tough. I mean, if you break them, you're going to usually break them up at the tip or you're going to, you know, banana them out or you're going to break them at the knock um, off a bad deflection or something. But for the most part, if you buy a dozen carbons, you're going to have them for a while. Um, in fact, Steve, some of the first carbons I bought off of you, I'm, I've still got eight of them. I mean, fletchings wore away to nothing. They could use a refletch, but they'll be ready to, they're ready to go. I mean, there's nothing wrong with them. Um, they, they're, they go right where I want them to go every time. I can't really say anything bad about them, you know, as far as that's concerned. I, well, especially ex- out of my hybrid bows. Yeah. Except that they're, they're ugly. They're, they're not ugly. as pretty as a wooden arrow. They don't, they don't smell as good as a wooden arrow and they have no soul. <laughs> um, but no, they, they don't have the soul that a wooden shaft does. And that's what constantly pulls even guys like me back to wooden shafts mm-hmm. is you just, you, you got to love wooden arrows. I got, um, I got a quiver full of wood right now that I've been shooting the last few days, but I can tell you that with a hundred percent certainty that if I put those arrows and they're well-made, if I put those arrows down and go to my carbons, I'm going to shoot tighter groups of my carbons every single time. I just, I just will. And if you, so, you know, and I I had some thoughts here as far as pros and cons. Um, You know, I say that the carbon arrows are durable. And I would say this, for the beginner starting out with a low poundage bow, those kind of things are shooting. They're probably going to be able to put those arrows through a lot of abuse that over time a wooden arrow would probably fail. Probably. Nothing's etched in stone. Um. But I will say this as well. My hunting carbons are anything but out of the box. I do a lot to my carbons. Our good friend Tom, Tom Jurgensen's the same way. In fact, most of the stuff that I do came from, from his, uh, his research and, and effort. But the carbon arrows that I hunt with are bomb-proof. Um, in fact, I posted a video a few weeks back when I, that I made when I was up in South Carolina where I shot a, um, a 300-spine carbon out of a 75 at 28 longbow drawn to 29 inches at literally eight feet point blank range into a concrete block. And it finally broke on the third shot. And that's, that's head on. It was blowing the knockout. In fact, it blew the knockout of one air and actually snapped the knock as well. There was just so much, uh, violence when that thing would hit the block. So, Mm -hmm. But that 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 takes some additional work. Um, oh, it, it definitely does, and I mean, no one's put more time into this than Tom. Tom no. Tom has spent, I mean, up to trying to fabricate titanium, you know, swedges and whatever else, you know, and and you know, I, I got to give him a little guff. I think his arrows look dumb as hell, but <laughs> but they, they work. And and I gotta, I I also we we should also throw this out there. Okay, so I'm not I'm not quite where you and Tom are. Um, I, I just, I do go heavy point weight though. Um, that's something I do. I always go with about 300 grains up front on a carbon. Um, I do not load them up on the inside like you guys do. And I, I don't foot them. And then, and there's a lot of other things I don't do. Um, just haven't needed to do that. Um, I might in the future. Uh, Tom even tried to addict, get me addicted to it with his JB Weld specials and, you know, that you and Tom are currently both doing with your footings and everything. And, and you guys got this perfectly tuned, but I just, I just can't get into it. And that's just my thing, but I do customize, customize mine at least with, you know, brass inserts and I don't use screw ins and stuff like that. Like I'm, I'm very 
I'm kind of in the middle of, of what a normal person might do and what Steve and Tom are doing. Yeah, you're about so. you're about three years behind us. You'll catch up. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> but, but so so we kind of talked about the cons a little bit. Um, the I mean the pros a little bit. So the cons, they're ugly. I mean, you can do things to make them look better, but compared to a a a, a, a well made wooden era, they're ugly. They'll never <laughs> they'll they'll never look trad. Um, the their uh, the durability they can be. Um, Again, out of the box, especially for impacts with with hard objects, they can mushroom. So from that perspective, they can be undurable, but you can fix that. Um, by themselves, they're typically very light. So as opposed to a wooden shaft that's heavy, they're, they're, they can be very light. But again, that's one of the pros for me is that they are... There's so many options to correct that as far as how to make your era heavier. And if you're, if you're into FOC, those kind of things, I think you've got a lot more options there to do the, the high front of center and the extreme high front of center uh, with a carbon era. So there's a lot of things about a carbon I like, but there's definitely some cons out there. Uh, and probably one of the biggest cons for me is listening to the devoted trad guys give me a hard time about shooting carbon. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> now there there is some some things I won't shoot a carbon arrow out of just out of principle. Um, I like if I had a self bow, I'm not shooting a carbon out of my self bow. Oh, well, you yeah, you better not let anybody see. You no, that, that, I mean, that's just asking for it. There, that that's. Uh, that's you don't you just don't do it and yeah. i have a hard time in fact i have a hard time shooting carbons out of uh like i don't like shooting carbons out of that schultz that that trophy hunter um mm-hmm. the hill style bows um i it just doesn't feel right to me but that's just my preference um whenever i grab certain bows i want a back quiver full of woods and whenever i when i pick a, another another bow up i like a i like a bow quiver with uh loaded up with carbons there's just i don't know i got some Weird stuff in my head, I guess, as far as how things should be. But well, you, nobody has ever called you normal. So n- n- no. no. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we got. Go ahead. We're really getting into um into a lot of different things here. <laughs> but I mean, uh, what, Steve, let's talk a little bit about um let's let's talk about draw weight. I know this is a big one for you. It, uh, well, it is, and 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 go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm I'm kicking it to you, man. So you you touched on it uh, earlier when you were talking about Jess, and it just made me you know, it made me think about the, the the draw weight thing. I know that you and I kind of discussed it a little bit about bringing it up. Um, so the first thing, if you're a new if you're a new um, traditional uh, bow hunter or just traditional archer, and you want to shoot, do not try to overbow yourself. You're much better off, even if you buy a bow and shoot it for three months and sell it, you're much better off to go with a lighter poundage bow. If you're con- coming from the compound world, you have to keep in mind that in most cases you're shooting a bow that's got 65% let off. So if you're, you know, if you're pulling um, 60 pounds, you're probably holding, I can't do the math on that, but you know, you're holding somewhere around 30 pounds or less um, at full draw. And, with a with a, a traditional bow, the 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 weight increases as you bring that bow back. So instead of being at full draw holding twenty some pounds, you're at full draw holding whatever that bow is marked. So 45, 50 pounds. It's a big difference. Um, 
and it, it, it's also a difference in the draw curve as far as where the power comes in on that bow. So bottom line, when you're starting out, go low in weight. Don't worry about, you know, how fast your arrows are flying or how deep you're penetrating the target, any of that. Just worry about form and getting your arrow downrange and into the target. That's most important. And here's here's one other thing. Not all bows are, are way what they are marked. Especially, especially if you were getting an import bow or something. Um, my very first bow was a Regime Impala, and it was a POS, um, and at, it was marked 45 at 28, and we put that thing on the bow press, and it was 60 at my draw, which was around 28. And it was stacking, but it was also mismarked. Now, it, that's probably not too uncommon when you're when they're kicking out a bow that only costs $130. Um, so newbies be warned if you buy something like that, you might want to take it, you know, there's, take it somewhere and get it on a bow on a, on a, on an actual, uh, scale scale, because it might not be what you think it is. And I tell you what, I was overbowed. I was mismatched on my arrows. I was shooting a 35, 55 carbon with a super light point and they were cut down and things were flying off my riser. I mean, I, I was getting erratic flight. And that's why, you know, again, the importance of finding people to shoot with, you know, the guy that I was shooting with at the time at the range kind of looked at my arrows and said, what, what are you shooting there? How, how heavy is that bow? Well, when we found out how heavy it was, it made a lot of sense, but that gave me target panic. I got target panic from it. Um, and I had, I did really change some things about my form and my shooting that probably set me back a month. Um, and I'm glad I caught it when I did. So don't always take it you know, for what, for uh, label value, I guess. Absolutely. You know? And, and again, what you're saying, you know, you're, you're, you're going back to the reasons why it's good to find somebody that already has a bow that's set up and they're shooting it and ask them to shoot their bow. You're, you're stand a much better chance of actually shooting a, uh, a setup that's, that's working than you do if you just try to go out, especially if you're new to the sport that mm-hmm. I tend to shoot heavier bows. Um, took a lot of years to get there. I worked really hard and I'll, I'll talk about that in just a minute, but I want to talk about some of the myths first, um, because I see this come up, especially on social media. And I just, I, it's another, what, you know, you look at, <laughs> you look at this and go, what are you, what are you people thinking? It's so the biggest, the biggest thing that I see will come up. Well, he's shooting, a. uh, I'll use 60 pounds. He's shooting a 60-pound bow. Man, that thing is fast. All right, stop. If he's shooting a 60-pound bow and he's shooting the arrows that he should be shooting out of a 60-pound bow and you're shooting a 45-pound bow and you're shooting the arrows that you should be shooting out of a 45-pound bow, the speed's going to be, for all intents and purposes, the same. Yes, it can vary based on bow design and bow type and those kind of things, but to make it plainer, if you take a 45-pound recurve and a 60-pound recurve and you batch up the arrows that spine out of that those two bows and they both weigh 10 grains of arrow weight per pound of bow draw weight. So a 45-pound bow shooting a 450-grain arrow and a 60-pound bow shooting a 600-grain arrow the 60-pound bow is not going to be faster. For some reason, people get that in their head that people are shooting heavier weights because they're faster. 
It's, it, 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 it's physics. That's complete BS. Here's the difference. If I want to shoot a 600 grain arrow, then a 600 grain arrow out of a 60 pound bow is going to be in almost all situations faster than a 600 grain arrow out of a 45 pound bow. But that people don't equate it that way. There, you know, there used to be a lot of people that shot really high weights on the on the archery course, and in some cases they were shooting lighter lighter arrows than they should out of that heavy bow. And to a point, yes, you can get more speed out of it in a flatter, flatter trajectory and so forth. But I shoot the heavier bows that I shoot, again, without getting into draw weight because I want to shoot a really heavy arrow and I want to keep the trajectory flat with that really heavy arrow. It all comes down to penetration. I want to make sure that in, in any situation, even if I'm shooting on a steep quartering away angle, I have the highest, oper- the highest odds for getting a full pass through, getting an exit wound, so I've got a better blood trail. So... I wanted to get that out there. So that's just one thing that's it's always bugged me. But forget about heavy bows unless it's just something that you want to do. If you want to shoot a heavier bow, again, start light. Build your form. Build your muscle memory. Understand how to execute a shot. And then if you want to start working up in weight to get to a 45-pound you know, bow or 55 or 65-pound bow, work up to those slowly. And if you, if you have questions, if you want some advice, if you, if you just want to ask questions, shoot me an email. I'm, I'm more than happy to, to tell you what's worked for me. But at the same time, shooting a heavier bow is not for everybody. It's, in fact, it's not for most people. Um, it, takes a, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of dedication. And it takes a lot of going back to the fundamentals time and time again. I, do, I probably spend as much time a week shooting what I call blind bail than I do anything else, which is nothing but standing at five feet from a target, closing my eyes and executing the shot without even worrying about where the arrow is going to hit. I'm focused on my form because the as you go up in draw weight, it becomes harder and harder to maintain form and to execute that shot correctly. Am I just rambling, Nick, or does all that make sense? No, you're rambling, but I mean, in a good way. Um <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree with you. Now, I, folks, I, uh, I, I've been all over the map on poundage. Um, I, I started out on a on a forty pound bow. Well, the overboat thing, I'm not even gonna count. I started out on a forty forty five pound bow, and then I went up to a fifty fifty five pound bow when I started hunting, and then I've shot bows up to seventy five pounds. Um, in fact, the my Schultz longbow is is pulls about that at my draw and. But it's such it's such a long bow that it's dispersed differently, so it's it's you know feels a little bit different. Um, yeah, dude, the, there's a difference in pulling a seventy five pound is. long bow versus a seventy five pound. Reaper. Yeah, if you if you get a, a Kodiak mag and and you're pulling forty five fifty pounds at a Kodiak mag, it's going to feel a lot different than a sixty eight inch long bow. <laughs> so yeah, you got to you got to take that into in in, into consideration. Um, but the other thing is so. I was really creeping up there and doing what Tom and Steve were doing. And I, 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 cause I believed in what they believed that, you know, you want to, you want to shoot a nice heavy arrow and you want to get good flight out of it. And it's a performance thing. It's not a masculinity thing. It's a performance thing. Now that didn't work for me because I've got an old wrestling injury and my shoulder hangs up. It doesn't necessarily hurt, but when I get to a certain point, it clicks and that throws me off. Not only that, but I draw a little different than Steve and Tom do. I'm more of a, I've got a really horizontal cant. Um, I can't to around two o'clock actually. 
and sometimes even even further uh, closer to three. And um, I'm more of a snap shooter. Steve will tell you my anchor don't last long. Um, it's people have a real hard time capturing me on camera because I it doesn't stick long. I'm pretty much touching it and it's going. Um, in fact, the longer I hold it, the worse I get because I think about it. So I was really short drawing my bow a lot when I was in the heavier poundages. Um, I didn't feel like I was in control. That plus the shoulder thing made me come back down again. Um, so now I'm around, I'm, I'm sticking around the 55 pound mark. Uh, and, and I'm happy with that. It's not a masculinity thing. Now, here's the other thing. Let's stop ridiculing people who want to shoot heavier equipment. If they can handle it, that's fine. But again, it's not a masculinity thing. It's, it's an individual. It's thing. an individual thing. It's what they want to do. Um, and, 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 and I'm sorry, I, I will step in and say, I'm not advocating that people need to go out and shoot 60 pound bows or 55 pound bows. Even you don't, you don't need to do that. So I, all I'm saying is if it's something that you're interested in, and you want to do it, give it a shot, but understand your limits and understand that shot execution is more important than how much pound is your pulling. Absolutely. You got to be in control. Howard Hill said, shoot the heaviest bow that you can handle, handle. You, you have mm-hmm. to be able to handle it. And Steve's right. It does take work. You have to, it's a muscle. It has to be worked just like anything else. You, you know, your back has to be worked out, your shoulders and everything. Um, you, you can't put a heavy bow up for months and then come back and think you're just going to shoot it. You need so, to shoot hundred, hundreds of arrows a week. Yeah. Or at least go downstairs and draw it. Right. You know, uh, you used to do, you used to go downstairs and draw your bow, what, 10 times a day, Steve, and hold it? I still do. Yeah. Just to keep your, and I, and when I was in a heavier bow, I did the same thing. Um, you know, I think, I think people get too caught up and, and get a little insecure online and they, and they, they have to, you know, if somebody's doing something, they, they usually take it out of context and have to knock them down a peg or two just because they don't do it. And it's the same as somebody who says, well, I can shoot a 45 pound bow and kill anything. And I'm, if they've got their bow tuned or a 40 pound bow, then, then it works. Yep. And, and here's, here's the thing. So I'm, and I'm going to try to say this, I'm going to try to say this correctly. Or well, bottom line is traditional archery and traditional bow hunting is a personal thing. Take advice, listen to people, ask questions, keep your mind open, but at the same time, don't let people tell you what and how you have to do this. It needs to be a personal thing. You need to be, you need to make decisions for yourself of, of what makes it fun for you, what makes you effective, uh, what makes what what's going to keep you what's going to keep you in the sport. So don't let people tell you what you can or can't do or should or shouldn't do outside of listening to advice about things like the whole form thing is a whole nother discussion. Form is important. Um, you should practice good form. You should learn good form. But as a bow hunter, I can tell you that form, when you're 20 foot off the ground, perched on a platform that won't allow you to hold your, your feet at shoulder width apart and execute a perfect shot placement... If you're in a hunting situation, you better be prepared for form to go out the window to a certain degree. Um, again, that's not saying it's not important, but there are other things that come into play that you can't always comprehend what's going to happen when you're in a hunting situation. No, very few times have I been in the field and drawing on an animal where I've been able to be perfectly aligned with nothing in the way. It just doesn't happen. And I'm a bow hunter first. I'm an archer second. If that makes sense, <laughs> uh, my everything I do is for bow hunting. 
uh, I, I don't, I don't care how well I score on the 3d course. Um, and I don't know about you, Nick. I, I, I can't tell you the last time I even kept score. No, I don't keep I'm, score because I suck the moment I do. <laughs> I'm more concerned I'm, of, is that a killing shot? Yep. Same thing. And I am, if it hits the, what is it, 12 ring, 10 ring, 12, 12 mm-hmm. ring? I guess 12 ring's the little one. Yeah. So. And, and if you, you know, and if I do, you know, I'll do the Meyer State games and stuff like that. And that's about the only time I ever score. Um, but that's fun. I, I'm not I'm not going out there to to thinking I'm just going to take the whole thing. I'm going out there because it's a course to shoot and I want to see how I do. Now, some people are really into that um, and, and all the scoring and stuff like that. And that's fine. That's just, it's whatever. It's fun for you. Um, but I, I just like Steve says, I treat everything when I shoot 3Ds. Um, I've never been much for paper. I don't do very well with it. I got to have that stuff to focus on, the shadows and whatnot of the 3D targets. But when I shoot 3Ds, I'm thinking, did I kill that animal? That's it. So, um, and same way. Mm-hmm. Well, Nick, we've I think we've we've beat these in the submission. Um, I think we got through most of the topics we wanted to talk about. Uh, mm-hmm. Anything else you want to you want to touch on? You know, it's funny. Uh, we kind of just glazed over them, uh, guys. I'll say this, and gals, there's a lot of videos out there now. There wasn't when I started. There's a lot of research out there you got to take some time and go look into that stuff. It's there. Take it for what it is, but it's there for you. Um, One thing I will say, Steve, is I think, you know, this kind of goes back to the whole broadhead thing. We didn't get into it because honestly, there's not enough time to get into it. And it's a little bit too complicated to talk about in one podcast. But the Ed Ashby reports. Look up Ed Ashby if you don't know who he is. And at least read through his findings on penetration. Whether you agree with him or Whether not. you agree with him or not, he, he put the time in and he put a lot of research into it and a lot of science and he practiced it on real animals um, or, you know, actual killed animals and whatnot. And he, 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 it's fascinating stuff and there's pages of it and it's, it's not, you can argue it, but it's science. I mean, it just is, uh, you well, should, if nothing else, it'll make you think. Yeah. You should at least be aware of it. Um, before you go, maybe use that screw in head or, or, you know, something like that. I mean, I, I was, Steve was kind of the same way. We were kind of non-believers. We didn't really pay much attention to it. And then Tom showed us a video of Ed Ashby, um, presenting at, uh, the traditional bow hunters expo in Kalamazoo a few years ago. And it was really eye opening for us and it changed everything. Um, to some degree, we all took something from it. So I would encourage you to at least look up Dr. Ed Ashby and read his reports and see what you think. Um, no, I, I think any information, anything you can, you can take the time to read or watch or listen to, it just opens your mind. I mean, it gives you, it gives you other options. It gives you other things to consider. So absolutely. I agree with you, Nick. Yep. But I think other than that, I think we, I think we're good enough for this podcast, man, but we should do this again sometime. Oh, we will. We'll mix them in. Um, we, we, I think we need to. There's, and there's, I know there's a ton of things that we could still cover. And speaking of which, um, we do have some great guests lined up. So, you know, everybody needs to stay tuned for those. We've got a, a really good traditional black powder hunting uh, podcast coming with a guest, uh, guest uh, that focuses on, uh, again, traditional black powder hunting. So we're going back to flintlocks um, in the field for, for pursuit of big game. We're going to get it back into some some fly fishing stuff. We've got some stuff lined up there. Um, 
we're going to try very soon to get uh, me, Nick, and Tom on a podcast to talk about a few things. And uh, Tom and I are uh, still in the process of planning our, our return to Wyoming uh, this fall for mule deer. And I think one of the episodes that we're going to try to get Tom in, it'll, it'll either be me and Tom, or maybe we can work it out to where it's all three of us, but I really want to focus about the uh, the equipment that um, we're, we're planning to take to Wyoming, uh, talk a little bit more about what we're actually getting into on this hunt because it is a backcountry. Um, you know, we're carrying our camp and everything else in on our back, and I think it would be really good for some people who are thinking about doing a, a, a backcountry hunt like this for the first time of uh, the equipment that we've chosen and why we've chosen it. And, you know, some of the equipment, Nick, uh, excuse me, some of the equipment Tom and I have chosen um, is the same, but for the most part, we're we're going with different products for different reasons. So I think it'll be a really interesting episode. I think so, too. Well, buddy, that's all I've got. So I think we'll we'll call this one done and uh, look forward to, to catching up with you again real soon, man. Yeah, great. Thanks, Steve. Talk to you later. Later. Well, everyone, Nick and I sure hope you're enjoying the podcast. As I mentioned earlier, we have some more great guests coming real soon, so please subscribe to the podcast and also keep an eye on the website and social media for the announcement around future guests as well as more giveaways like the Fly Rod and Reel Combo giveaway we recently held. Also, if you have a question or a suggestion, please email those to podcast at traditionaloutdoors.com and you may even hear one of those answered on a future and upcoming episode. Until the next time, get out there and enjoy our amazing outdoors. And whenever you can, be sure to take a kid along. Be safe, be responsible, and be sure to set a good example for your fellow outdoors men and women. So long, everyone.